0: Yeah! <laughs> be seated as letter ushers come forward to receive her offering this morning and those that are visiting with us today again we are certainly thrilled about you being here and inside the little packet that was given to you there is a card there if you'll take that and fill it in drop in offering plate uh, we'd like to send you some information this week about the church we want you to get to know us and as well we want to get to know you we're certainly honored that you are visiting with us today let reminds just remind you of a couple of things. The month of November around here is our Missions Emphasis Month. That's why you see the different flags. And throughout the Wednesday night, starting next Wednesday night, not this coming Wednesday night, but the next Wednesday night, we'll be having different guests uh, that'll be with us throughout the month, missionaries, and we try to have a variety of works represented in our Wednesday night services. Wednesday night, the 14th, the Tabernacle Children's Home will be here, and they've been with us several times, always a blessing, Clyde, and... Uh, and sandra of course are from this church they're directors of the home now and uh, they'll be a real blessing to you and one of the things we're going to do this year is uh, they're bringing 19 children i believe it's 19 and they're going to let the children stay over with us in our homes during uh, that wednesday night and so forth so i want many of you to think about uh, maybe keeping one two or three children with you for the night It'd be a special time for you and a special time for the children We'll have a sheet out front next Sunday for you to sign up for that. Next Sunday, the Warren family will be here. I've met this family several times as I've been different places. They were with us a number of years ago, and they'll be with us next Sunday. You'll enjoy their ministry to us in song and the variety of music they have. But I praise the Lord for all that he's doing. Been exciting about, It is exciting about what God is doing. Amen? Amen? I look around the building today, people sitting down the walls and different places like that. And there is hope on the way. Say amen right there. And all we need is for you to to give. And if you give, we'll do it quicker. Amen. Amen. Say, preacher, that's all you talk about. Get used to it. That's all I'm going to talk about. That has become my one-track theme in my day. And when I die, you can put on my tombstone, Luke 16, 34, and the beggar died. You're welcome to do that. (laughs) You're happy to do that. That uh, met with our architects this week. I saw the first real drawings on paper, just kind of schematic drawings, <clears throat> and uh, they're getting that together. Flew in on Thursday for a couple hours with me. Looked at it, and we tweaked a few things. I got to get with Rick a couple of things about uh, instruments and things, and then meet with them again in a couple of weeks. And somewhere around the end of this month, we should have something to put before you to show you what we're thinking about doing. You'll be excited about it. And then. Of course, we're going to have a 3D video that will be made. We'll be able to get that to you right after the first of the year where you'll actually see the building before it is ever constructed. That's a fascinating thing, the way they do that. But uh, I thank the Lord for all he's doing. But help and hope is on the way and looking forward to that. Let's pray. Let me just ask you to remember, of course, those in the hospital list and just want to make mention that we have got a brand-new grandson in our family today. Little Tucker got here yesterday. He was born a little early, about two months early, but he still weighed seven pounds and four ounces. So he's a good fella. And like all my other grandchildren, it's one of the prettiest grand, one of the prettiest babies I've ever seen. Amen. Say amen. I to continue to pray for him, he is doing well. Put him on a ventilator when he first come out and uh, but uh, they were able to get him off the ventilator this morning so he's doing very very well but continue to pray for him he's in the needle natal unit at east reach hospital let's pray father we thank you now for all you're doing and thank you for what you're doing around here father i pray today that you will bless us and use us for your honor and glory and father one of the ways that you use us is in our giving and father we are your people we are your channels through which you support the work of God in this world, missions, new buildings, ministries, staff, all of these things, Lord, you provide for them through your people. So teach us how to give. Teach us as a church how to give. Thank you, Lord, for those that give and for those that need to learn to give. Help them to step out by faith and to trust your word and begin to give as you have so commanded and let them enjoy the blessings of giving to you. Father, you know the needs that we have for the new building and the construction. We pray you'll supply all of that. Thank you for what you've already sent in. We thank you for what you're going to send in. It's exciting. And we thank you that you've given us this opportunity and we rejoice in it. Bless the offering today in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: this morning isn't
2: it I'm excited to be here I I thank God for a church where we can worship I thank God for a church where we can serve Uh, I just thank God for this church I like it I don't know about y'all I enjoy myself here
0: good to us isn't it take your bible to romans chapter 8 the book of romans chapter 8 i've been battling a sore throat for the past two or three days which is bad enough for a speaker and then get in one of these how would i call them snot building services that don't help any does it? amen I'm sorry, I forgot this Sunday morning, amen. Them's Wednesday night terms, amen. I like it when the Lord squeezes my heart, don't you? I like it when His presence is real. I know some are very critical of emotions in services, but God made His emotional creatures, and we are to worship Him with our whole being, and that involves our emotions. And I I thank the Lord we can worship Him. Good to have Lisa home today. Lisa, where are you at? I saw her early back here. Good to have Lisa Dean in. You and Brian fighting again? Is that why you're here this weekend? Good to have Lisa home. I didn't get to go to the concert Friday night, but everybody has told me what a wonderful job that Justified did and how the Lord blessed them and used them, and how they were honorable to the Lord, and all that they did, the way they sung, and everything about that, and I praise the Lord for it, and I thank the Lord for them. Let's give them a good hand, just to let them know we love them, (laughs) praying for them, and (coughs) appreciate them so much. They'll be singing Saturday evening, it's coming Saturday at 7 o'clock at Pathway Baptist, and that's out in East Brainerd, so if you want to. Follow them and go with them when you can. That'll be a good opportunity for you to go. Let's stand as we honor the reading of His Word. Romans chapter 8. I want you to look at verse 35. Verse 35. We're looking at great questions in the Bible. Here is a great question. We'll try to answer it this morning. The Bible said in Romans eight thirty-five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There's the question. Who? And you might put in parentheses what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Let me read verse 36 down through verse 39. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded, I am convinced, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, and in case I forgot anything, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's answer that question today. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Let's pray. Father, this morning we pause to give you praise. What a joy it is to be able to come to your house and you come with us. What a joy it is, Lord, to assemble together as brothers and sisters that have experienced salvation in the Lord Jesus and then to personally meet you in those services. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for your love. And as I come to you this morning, I offer myself as a vessel As limited as it may be I offer what I have and give it to you that you this morning might channel through me and that you might speak through me and use me as a vehicle to communicate your precious word we want to know your word we want to be faithful to your word we want to build our lives around your word we want to be a preacher of the word so take the word this morning and use it in our life and father through us today Speak to our hearts about what you want to talk to us about in this service, and we'll thank you and praise you for it is in Jesus' name we ask these things, amen. Amen. I think about a story I read one time, Charles Spurgeon, when he visited one of his students, visited the church of one of his students. Spurgeon, of course, had the Bible college and trained preachers for the ministry. And he visited one of his students out in the countryside, and when he got there, he noticed on top of the church was a weather vane. And on the weather vane was inscribed the words, God is love. Spurgeon looked at the young pastor and he said, Do you mean to imply that God's love changes like the wind? And immediately and quickly the young pastor said, Oh, no, 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 that's not the message at all. The message is that God loves no matter which way the wind is blowing. Well, I want to say to you this morning that God loves us. And He loves us no matter which way the wind blows. As you know, for the past few Sunday mornings, we've been looking at great questions in the Bible. And we began by looking at the question of the Philippian jailer in Acts 16.30, where he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The second question that we looked at was the question of the psalmist in Psalm 27.1, when he asked the question, Whom shall I fear? The third question that we considered, and it was the question we considered last Sunday morning, was the question asked by Job in Job 14 14, if a man die, shall he live again? The question that I want us to look at today is found in verse 35, and it is the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? As we seek to find an answer to that question this morning, we'll learn that God loves no matter which way the wind is blowing. And as the great blind preacher George Matheson of Glasgow, Scotland once said in one of his great hymns, God's love is a love that wilt not let us go. God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 3, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. And so when we try to answer this question this morning, we'll see that we are assured that God loves us with an everlasting love. And we'll see that it is a love that, the love that endures no matter which way the wind blows. Now Romans chapter 8, let me just say a word about it and then I'll get into the message and try to answer the question. Romans chapter 8 is a great chapter in the Bible. Martin Luther once said that the 8th chapter of Romans is the masterpiece of the New Testament. J.R. McDuff said of the chapter that if the Holy Scripture was a ring and the epistle to the Romans its precious stone then chapter 8 would be the sparkling point to that jewel. It's a great chapter. It's a chapter that begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. And in between, we're assured of our justification, we're assured of our sanctification, and we're assured of our glorification. I love the way Peter J. Pell in his little class notes He spoke of chapter 8 as when we come to chapter 8, we're leaving the land of bondage and we're entering the land of Beulah. It is a great chapter. But I've drawn your attention to the question presented in verse 35. But as you look at the closing verses of Romans chapter 8, you'll find that that particular question is actually the last of several questions that are asked. For example, in verse 31, the question is asked, if God be for us, who can be against us? the question is asked in verse 33 who shall lay anything to the charge of god's elect in verse 34 the question is asked who is he that condemneth it is then that we find the question in verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of christ so i want us to look at that question this morning And we'll find that as we try to answer that question that its arms will reach out to the other questions. But we'll focus upon the statement or the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Jot down the three main points and the points underneath, and I believe there'll be a blessing to you this morning. The first thing that I want you to see is this. When I look at what Romans 8 has to say, I am reminded that, first of all, that we need not doubt A confirmation of God's love or the confirmation of God's love or the love of Christ. We need not doubt. We need not wonder. We need not fear or worry whether or not God loves us. You see, it's very possible that there is someone here today that may question or doubt the love of God for you. Through the years, I have met some, not many, but I've met a few that didn't believe that God loved them. And occasionally I've spoke to someone, witnessed to them about their need of Christ, and a couple of times, a few times, someone has said, but preacher, God doesn't love me. And upon upon more investigation, I've found that usually their doubt of God's love was due to a false and a faulty standard of measuring the love of God. For example, I have found those that use the standard of wealth and poverty to measure the love of God. Here is an individual that has very little in this world and they live in conditions of poverty. They view the wealth of another as the indication of God's love. What they do is they interpret the fancy home, the nice home, the fancy car, the expensive clothing, the abundance of food they have as an expression of God's love. And they reason that God must really love that person. He has given them so much and He has blessed them with so many things. But on the other hand, here they are. They have little or nothing at all. And because they measure the love of God by things, and because they measure the love of God by what they have, then they reason in their mind that their conditions must mean that God does not love them. They measure the love of God by the standard of wealth and poverty. I have met those or known of those that measure the wealth or the love of God not only by the standard of wealth and poverty, but those that measure the love of God with the standard of health and adversity. There are some that have the ideal that if a person is well and they have good health, it must be an indication of God's pleasure and it must be an indication of God's love. Here is one that has health. Life has been devoid of sickness and suffering and any kind of physical ailments and whatever. And so they reason in their mind, God must really love me. Or another says God must really love them because he's, he's blessed them with so much and they're doing so well. But on the other hand, here's an individual battling with cancer. Here's an individual that's battling with some other physical ailment. And so when they use this standard of measuring the love of God by health and adversity, then they reason in their mind, God must not love me. He loves that person. It's obvious he really loves them. For look at them. They're well. They've never had a problem in their life. But here I am. It is one battle after another. God must not love me. But I want to remind you this morning that you do not measure the love of God by how big your house is or by what subdivision you live in. You do not measure the love of God by whether or not you have a Mercedes or a BMW in your driveway. You do not measure the love of God by a six-figure income. And neither do you measure the love of God by either the presence or the absence of cancer or some other physical extremity. The measure, the standard of measuring the love of God is never the bad versus the good. It is never wealth and health or plenty and poverty. You say, Brother Kent, how do you measure the love of God? How do I know that God loves me? What is the standard for measuring God's love? Look in verse 32 of our text. There you find the standard of measuring the love of God. You see verse 32 in the words, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And that one statement there, you are given the standard for measuring the love of God. You say, how how do we see the standard of measuring of God's God's love in these words? Well, think with me. Think with me first of all of the expression of God's love. Look at verse 32 again. Notice the words there that he delivered, but delivered him up for us all. He's talking about the cross. Now, you don't know how how to know that God loves you this morning. May I say that the cross is the confirmation of God's love. The cross is the demonstration of God's love. It is in the cross. Listen to me that God shows his love it is in the cross that God declares his love it is in the cross that God proves his love if you want to know whether depth and the height and the breadth of the love of God there is no greater proof of God's love than the cross of Jesus Christ as John three sixteen so wonderfully declared God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son. How you say, Preacher, does God love me? Look at the cross. There is the confirmation of God's love. That's how you measure God's love for you, not by what you have, not by how well you are, but by what Christ did on the cross. It is God's love being expressed. But think with me also, not only the expression of God's love, but look also in verse 32. That he not only see that expression, he delivered up, he delivered him up for his all. But notice, just preceding that, the words, "He spared not his son." Underscore the word "spared" for just a moment. The word speaks of not being lenient. The Bible said that God spared not his son; that God was not lenient with his son, but delivered him up for his all. You listen to me this morning. When God delivered up His Son to the cross, He did not spare Him. When God delivered up His Son to the cross, He did not treat Him leniently. When God delivered His Son to the cross, He cut Him no slack. Say, what are you talking about? When you go to the cross, the issue is sin. And the objective is the punishment of sin. But when you look at God's Son, He delivered Him up for His all. And he spared not his son. He was not lenient with his son. Instead of lessening the weight of sin's penalty, God placed on Christ the full load. Instead of limiting the punishment for sin, God allowed the Lord Jesus to bear the punishment for the entire world and for the whole of human race from the beginning of time to the end of time. God showed Jesus no mercy. He allowed sinful men to beat him. He allowed sinful men to scourge him. He allowed sinful men to mock him, to spit in his face, to disgrace him, and to subject him to the worst kind of death that mankind has ever known. There was no leniency. There was no mercy. There was no restraint or restriction to the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. You might say that the wrath of God was poured out on him without measure. How do I know God loves me? Look at the cross. Look at what Jesus went through. When you look at his sufferings on the cross, how dare one of us suggest that he does not love us. Don't tell me God does not love you. Don't tell me God doesn't love me. The cross is the confirmation of his love, not by what I wear today, not by the house that I live in, not my health, but the confirmation of God's love is that he spared not his son, but he delivered him up for us all. That's the proof of the love of God in saint paul's cathedral in london there's a life-size marble statue of christ writhing in anguish on the cross and beneath the statue is the words this is how god loved the world and when you look at jesus on the cross you see how much he loved us we see how much he loves us Now right, listen to me does god love us today the cross is the confirmation of that love you want to know something about the love of god And if you want to know something about the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of God's love, then let me suggest that you roll back the pages of time and you walk up Golgotha's brow. And when you reach the place where there stands three crosses, you go to the middle cross. And there at the top of that cross, you write the height of God's love. And then you stoop down beneath the nail-pierced feet, feet that never touched sin or walked in sin. And there you write the depth. Of God's love and then you walk to the left of that cross the side where the heart of God beats the heart that loved you and the heart that loved me the heart that bore our griefs and sorrows the heart that wept over lost condition of sinners and at the fingertips of that bruised and bleeding hand you write the length of God's love and then you walk to the opposite side to the right hand to the everlasting hand the hand that cradled this universe And the hand that was dipped in the sea of eternity to form these worlds and the hands that blessed the little children and the hand that lifted the woman that was taken in adultery and the hand that rebuked the winds and the waves and there you write the breath of the love of God how do I know God loves me today the cross tells me God loves me it is the confirmation of his love and when I look at the fact that God showed no leniency to his son spared not his son but delivered him up for his all I'm able to sing he loves me he loves me he loves me this I know he gave himself to die for me because he loves me so we need not doubt the love of God listen to me in the balcony in the wing all across this building you listen to me you are loved by God and you need not doubt that love the cross is the confirmation of that love can I get an amen right there But jot down the second thing I see in the chapter. Not only do I see, as I look at Romans 8, and wondering if we can be separated from the love of Christ, I not only see that we need not doubt a confirmation of His love, but we need not deliberate a limitation to His love. Now, there may be someone in this building today that feels that God could not love somebody like you And you think that in the light of the life that you have lived. You feel that way because of the sins you have committed. And you feel that way because of the way you have lived through the years. And you say to yourself and may even say to me, Preacher, God could not love someone like me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I have lived. You don't know how far I have gone. Preacher, God could not love me. You listen to me today there is no limitation to the love of god let me show what i'm talking about look in our text one you see the objects of his affection i met it as a meditator this week on verses 31 through 39 i was struck by the number of times we find the little word us 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 notice for example verse 31 you see the statement there if god be for us also in verse 31 who can be against Us, look at verse 32, delivered him up for us. Verse 34, you see the statement, he maketh intercession for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us? Verse 39, nobody's able to separate us six times. In five verses, you find that little word. It's a little word, two letters, but a word that is bursting with implication. It is a word that indicates the objects of God's love. It tells us who God loves and to whom he has manifested his love. But furthermore, that little word us, it takes down all the fences. It removes all the boundaries. A little word, two little letters, but it throws its arms around people of all classes. You see, that little word us takes in the rich and it takes in the poor. It takes in the upper class, the middle class, and the lower class. That little word takes in the Jew, it takes in the Gentile. That little word takes in the white man, it takes in the black man, it takes in the yellow man, it takes in the red man. That little word takes in the oriental, it takes in the occidental. It takes in the doctor in the hospital, it takes in the lawyer in the courthouse. It takes in the teacher in the classroom, it takes in the driver on the highway. It takes in the machinist in the factory, and it takes in the child playing in the streets of the neighborhood. It is a word that takes in people of all classes, but it not only takes in people of all classes but glory to God it takes in people of all conditions but you see it's a word that little word does. it takes in a smelly cursing, vile fisherman like Peter. It takes in a bloody-handed murderer and conspirator like Paul. It is a word that reaches into every prison cell. It is a word that reaches into the red-light district. It is a word that reaches into the back alleys of degradation. It is a word that reaches in the pit of sin where men is fallen lower than beasts. It is a word that takes in the good. It is a word that takes in the bad. Blessed be God, it gets me in. Amen. You see, that little us it tells us who is the object of God's love it takes in you it takes in me It takes in each of us. It takes in all of us, people of all classes and people of all conditions. That little word us tells me there is nobody that he doesn't love. It tells me there's no limitations to God's love. He loves all of us. He loves each of us. And it's a love you don't have to debate. It's a love you don't have to discuss. It is a love you don't have to deliberate. It is a love that is proven by Calvary's cross. He loves everybody. Aren't you glad for that? Give him praise of the Lord amen he loves you and you ought to praise him for that I was thinking the other day you know, we've been seeing Osama bin Laden on TV I think about God loving folks I guess Osama bin Laden is one of those folks that we probably have trouble loving wouldn't you agree and I was thinking about Osama bin Laden the other day and I thought to myself I would not want to be in that old boy's shoes when some Navy SEAL team or some Rangers Or Green Beret, find him in whatever cave cave he's hiding in. I would not want to be in his shoes, would you? If you think that they're going to read his Miranda rights to him, then I believe you're a little bit fooled. And I think you're going to find out he's, he's not going to get three hots in the cot. You mark that down. He'll never see daylight outside that cave. And I say more power to him, amen. In fact, if it was me, I'll just tell you how I feel about it. You know how I am. i just tell you how I feel about it. If it's me and I was a Navy SEAL, of course, I'm a retired Navy SEAL, but if I was back in the Navy SEAL again, <laughs> I'll tell you what I'd do. If I called him in a cave, I'd take me a pair of pliers, a pair of pliers. I'm from North Carolina. A pliers. <laughs> and I'd pull his fingernails and toenails out one at a time. Then I'd have an old boy hold this hand up and I'd shoot one finger off at a time. Then I'd hold this hand up and I'd shoot one finger off at a time. Then I'd stick his legs up in there and I'd shoot all ten of his toes off one at a time. Then I'd take me a belt sander and I'd shave him. (laughs) Then I'd get me a dull pocket knife and I'd cut both of his ears off. Then I'd take me a hot searing iron and I'd burn the letters NYPD and NYFD on his belly and then I'd flip him over and take a regular sewing needle and regular sewing thread and I'd sew American flag to his backside and all of that before I really got rough with him. Say amen right there. And I'd do it all. Of course, I'd do it all in Christian love. You know how that is. (laughs) But it's very easy for us as Americans to hate somebody like an Osama bin Laden. But the simple truth is, here's the marvelous thing. God loves somebody like Osama bin Laden as much as he loves me. He falls in the category of God's whosoever. I don't misunderstand me. I have no sympathy for what's coming to him. But God loves him just as much as he loves me. What I'm saying to you is this. There is nobody that He doesn't love. He loves me. He loves you. It matters not who you are. It matters not what you have done. We are the objects of the love of God. Isn't that a thrilling thought? But if that's not thrilling enough, you not only see the objects of His love, but you see the outcome of His love or the outcome of His affection. For look at the last five words of verse 33. Look at that statement there. It is God that justifieth. Oh, listen to me. Right there's a statement we could just stop for about 30 minutes and shout on it. It is God that justifieth. What does it mean, justifieth? What a great word. What a great thought. What a great truth. What is it? The word in simple definition means to make just or to make innocent. It's a forensic term describing the judicial act of God by which he pardons. All the sins of those who believe in Christ, and He accounts them, and He accepts them, and He treats them as being righteous. Now, you think about it for just a moment. You think about what you used to be, you think about how you used to live, you think about how you deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell. And I won't burst anybody's bubble, but there's not a soul in the sound of my voice that deserves to go to heaven. Everyone of us deserved to go to hell. But instead of going to hell, God's made us his child. He, it's, it's amazing how he take the, takes those whose lives were the epitome of evil and wickedness and sin and he declares them clean. He declares them righteous before him. He takes this old boy that had a bottle in his hand and he puts a Bible in his hand. He takes this old fellow over here that was the shame of the community and he makes him the pride of the church. He takes this old fellow over here that, his mom, that moms and dads warned their children about and puts them in a Sunday school class teaching those very same children. What am I talking about? God taking hell-deserving sinners and declaring them righteous through Jesus Christ, his son. That's what it means to be justified. Now, friend, if that's not love, I don't know what love could be. When I think about what I used to be, think about what He has made me, I have to say He loves me. He loves me this I know. There is no limitation to the love of God. Can I get an amen there? Yeah. No limitation to His love. Again, no matter who you are or what you have done, God loves you. You. But look at the third and the final thing, and I draw your attention to our question. And I look at the question, and I look at it as its arms reaches out to the context. It tells me that I need not doubt a confirmation of God's love, that God has confirmed His love on the cross. I don't have to worry or doubt that He loves me. He loves me. The cross proves it. I don't even have to deliberate if he loves me or does not love me, or he loves one and doesn't love me. No, it's an unlimited love. But verse 35 tells me that I need not despair a separation from the love of Christ. Look at verse 35 again. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Underscore the word separate for a moment. It is a word that speaks of creating a space, or a distance between two objects. It would be the same as a couple saying we have grown distant over the years. Or are we saying that something has come between us and another individual. This is the question. Is there anything that could cause God to love us less? Now, he showed his love on the cross. That, there's no issue there. That's proven. He's proved his love. But here's the question. Could he ever love me less? Will there ever be a time or could there ever be a time when God will cease to love me or love me less than he does now? Is it possible that we could be separated from the love of Christ? Now, that's the question that is being asked. Let me try to answer that for you. Paul asked the question. And then you'll notice he calls up every conceivable extremity to put God's love to the test. Notice, let me just break it down in two categories. The first is this. Can any experience separate us from the love of Christ? Look at verse 35. He asks who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Can tribulation separate me from the love of Christ? Can distress separate me from the love of Christ? Can persecution separate me from the love of Christ? Can famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword, can any of these experiences separate me from the love of Christ? Well, let me illustrate what he says. This is... This, let me let me allow me to use my imagination just a moment. So I thought about this week and, and meditate on this passage. Here is the image that came to my mind. This is this is not a biblical image, but this is an image that came to my mind that helped me to appreciate and understand it. I saw Paul, and I can when I read this, I see Paul in a laboratory. And around him is a number of petri dishes. And each one of them is marked. One's marked tribulation one's marked distress, and one's marked persecution, and so on and so on and so on That, And I see him as he takes a sample from the dish marked tribulation, and he places it on a small piece of glass, and he slides it under the microscope that is before him. And I see him as he bends over and peers intently into the lens and watches the sample in that glass. And a few minutes, he raises his head takes out a pad and he writes, Tribulation, dark in color, has a great variety in its form, very aggressive, creates great pressure in life, causes heavy burdens and dark trials. Then I watch him as he reaches over in another dish and he takes a sample from a dish marked the love of Christ and he puts it with that sample of tribulation. And again, he peers into his microscope as he watches as the thousands of little tribulation creatures converge on the love of Christ, wiggling and squiggling and swarming and twirling as they converge on that sample of the love of Christ. And he watches and he studies. And then he looks up and then he takes out his pad and he writes, the love of Christ, unaffected by tribulation, There is no dilution or change or alteration of any kind in his state. And then he takes a sample from the dish marked distress and he puts it under the microscope. And after observing it for a while, he writes on his pad, distress contracts very quickly, causes life to feel as if in a very narrow place, like being between a rock and a hard place. And once again, he reaches over in the dish marked the love of Christ and he puts it with that distress and he studies it. And once again, he makes notes on his pad, no change. The love of Christ is unaltered by distress. Then he takes a sample from the dish marked persecution and he studies it notes his find it, constantly producing other life forms such as famine and nakedness and peril and sword. Extremely aggressive, very aggressive in nature. Then he takes the love of God and puts the sample love of God. He puts it with with the persecution. And he once again, he makes note on his path. The love of God unaffected by persecution or the many life forms that it produces. And then he takes a piece of glass and he puts tribulation on it. And then he puts uh, distress with tribulation. And then he puts persecution with all of it. And then he puts the love of God in the middle of it all. And he watches as all of them violently attack the love of God. But the same conclusion... He walks over to his desk turns the index of an old well-worn book and he looks at the word tribulation the word distress and the word persecution and follows the references and then he writes tribulation distress persecution common experiences of life unavoidable no immunity my source Psalm 44 22 for thy sake we are killed all the day long for he counted his sheep for the slaughter romans 8 36 and he continues to write place samples of each with samples from the love of christ to determine if the love of christ could be affected or altered by each or all and conclusion nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us paul is putting the love of god at it. he's not through Look down in verse 38 not only does he ask can any experience separate us from his love but can any enemy separate us from his love verse 38 he talks about death life angels principalities powers things present things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall separate us let me use my imagination again this time i do not see him in the laboratory I see him on a battlefield. And I see him surrounded by the great enemies of the soul. And each one stands there in attention, dressed in their battle array. Paul walks up to the first one. He's dressed in a black uniform. The number of stripes on his sleeves tells the story of a veteran of warfare. The decorations on his chest reveal that he's fought battles on every continent known to man. And his medals reveal that he's been very, very successful in battle. Paul walks up to him and says, General Death, my name is Paul. You're a seasoned veteran from the beginning of time. Your victories total into millions. Your military records show that you've only lost three battles during your distinguished military career. History tells me you lost the battle of Enid. History tells me you lost the battle of Elijah. And history tells me the third battle you lost was to the Lord Jesus. At first it seemed like you were the victor, but three days later he burst the chains of your power, handed you a defeat that's left you reeling ever since. But I want to ask you something. He said, I know that one day I'm going to meet you in battle. And I have no doubt you're going to beat me. Paul says, I have no doubt you're going to win. But I just want you to know something. When I'm ready to be offered, I'm not worried about fighting you. I'm not worried about losing, but I do have one question. I do have one question I want to ask you. General Death, now you be honest with me. You're a military man. You're a man of integrity. Now be honest with me. General Death, with all your military skill and all of your military power and with all your military record, do you think, is there any possibility... Is there any probability that you have the ability of separating me from the love of Christ? I see the shoulders of the proud general suddenly droop. And the proud, confident look on his face suddenly disappears. And he bows his head for a moment, and then he says, No, sir, I cannot separate you from the love of Christ. And Paul runs over the next and he said, what about you? What about you? What about you? What about you? One by one, he takes those proud generals and he says, are you able to separate me from the love of Christ? And they all answer the same. And Paul steps back and he bursts forth in the refrain, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities or powers or things present or things to come shall separate me from the love of Christ. Hey, listen to me. Is there any danger that we could be separated from the love of God? Will there ever be a time that God will not love us? Will there ever be a time that he'll love us less? I just want to say with Paul, nay. No, absolutely not. He loved me back in eternity past. He showed that love on Calvary's cross and he loves me today. He'll love me tomorrow and a thousand years from now. He'll love me like he's always loved me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. me. This I know. He loves us and there is no limitation to the love of God. Amen? Stand to our feet, please. Shall or who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nobody. Nothing. No one. He loves us. Tell you something. That ought to bless your heart. That ought to stir you to realize today that God loves you. And what's so amazing about it, what did we do to earn His love? what did we do to deserve the love of god on a sunday morning much like this in 1972 i came down to an altar if you were standing in the pulpit as i am standing i came right down here this corner and i knelt that sunday morning and all i did was tell god i was lost and didn't want to go to hell and all i did was ask him to save me you know what god did for me that day he saved me made me a child of god Heaven is my home. But what did I do prior to that? When I walked that aisle, was I a straight-A student? Close. Tell amen. (laughs) I was known to lie in those days, too, amen. But when I walked down that aisle, I had done nothing to earn His love. I hadn't done anything for God. I'd had no place for God in my life. I'd had no room for God. I had nothing to offer God. But he didn't ask me to offer him anything. He didn't put me through a battery of tests to find out if I qualified. He said, whosoever will, let him come. He loved me in spite of what I was. And that's all, God. He loves us all. And you may be here today and so say, He doesn't love me. Oh, yes, he does. The cross is the proof of that. You mean he'd love me in spite of how I've lived? Oh, yes, he does. You mean he'd love me in spite of what I've done? Oh, yes, he does. He loves you. And He'll never cease to love you. And He'll love you no less than He loved you on the cross. No matter what you do or how you live, He'll love you no less. And when we realize that, then we understand that no matter who we are or what we've done, that if we'll come to Him, He'll save us and give us new life in Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? We're going to sing in a moment. There may be those in the building today that need to come. Maybe you're here today and you need to unite with our church. God has been leading you to become a member of Temple Baptist. This is a great place for you and your family to serve the Lord. And I'm not just saying that. But it's a great place to come. A great place to be involved. A great place to serve. You don't have to come in church wondering if a fight's going to break out or if deacons are trying to kill the preacher. You don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. It's a good place to come. Good place to get in and love the Lord. A lot of things going on. More things are going to be going on. Good place to come. And God is leading you here. All you got to do is come take a seat on the front row or just walk down the front. Someone will meet you. We'll get the information we need from you. And you ought to do that. You ought to come today. There may be someone here today that is saved. There was a time when you knelt in your home or here in an altar or some altar like this and you trusted Christ. But you hadn't lived for Him like you should. And you know it. You're not living as a Christian ought to live or serving Him. Now think about this. Who loved you any more than Jesus did? Who loved you any greater? No one. And for somebody to love you that much, enough that he would come, that God would give His Son and show no leniency to him, I would think I would be indebted to that individual for the rest of my life, wouldn't you? And that's what God has done. You ought to come give your life to Him. I, there's things and, uh, about living away from God you ought to fear, such as chastisement, whatever. But I'm going to tell you the greatest motive for you living for God is the fact that He loved you so much. And you ought to come give your life to Him. And then it's very possible somebody's here today and there's never been that time in your life you accepted Jesus Christ. You've never done what many in this room have done. Somewhere you came and somebody took the Bible and showed you what to do, how to be saved. You've never done that. I'm going to invite you to come this morning. doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. You may be up here. You may be over here. You may be down here. You may be in your teens. You may be a little child. You may be a young person, mom and dad. You may be in college. You may be in your upper years, but it doesn't matter. If you've never trusted Jesus, I want you to come today. I want you to come because God loves you. And because he loves you and there's no limitation to his love and there's no end to his love, you can come today and he'll save you But the grace of God. You ought to come today. You ought to do that right now. Amen? Father, this morning in Jesus' name, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Thank you, Lord, that nothing, nothing or no one will ever have the ability to separate us from your love. You love us. I don't know why you love us but you do. And I thank you, Lord, for it. I thank you that you love us in spite of who we are, in spite of who we were. We thank you for that. Father, this morning in Jesus' name, we love you because you first loved us. Father, I pray today this invitation is given. May there be people that will respond to you and may they respond in love to you because you have loved them in the measure you have loved them. Speak to hearts today in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.